The True Crime Society podcast contains adult themes and violence and is not intended for all audiences. Listener discretion is advised. If you'd like to skip the intro, please refer to the timestamp listed in the episode description. Thank you. What's up, guys? Welcome back to another episode of the True Crime Society podcast with Stephanie and Olivia. It is December 14th, 2023. I remembered to say the year, our new thing. (laughs) Um, (laughs) We've been having technical difficulties, (laughs) which happens sometimes. Not that often, but when we do, it's just like such a nightmare. Yeah. So hopefully... We recorded the Patreon. Hopefully that was like the warm up for all the technology and hopefully it's good to go now. Because this is going to be a big one, I think. I probably yeah. I feel like I always shoot my foot in the when shoot myself in the foot when I say that cuz but I feel like it's a lot. We'll have a lot to chat about and there's a lot of info to go through. Yeah. So today we're going to be talking about John Benet Ramsey, which it's like a case that not a lot of people have heard of, I think. <laughs> <laughs> I just I just made we just recorded Patreon and I ended it by saying, like, okay, now we're gonna go record about John Bidet and I made the same joke. So I feel like sometimes with these bigger cases like John Bidet, Maura Murray, um, like a few of the other kind of ones. Like even someone I posted on Instagram today asking if people had any thoughts about it, and someone wrote, I'm bored of this case, which I feel like that is sometimes how I think as well I'm like surely everyone knows about this but surprisingly quite a lot of people aren't that familiar with it I guess it's been so long now that that you know there's a whole new generation of true crime people coming in who aren't that familiar with it yeah it's like it can be hit or miss I think because even with me I followed it a lot years ago or I'll just have random you know how sorry I'm like changing my thought midway through you know how there was that joke going around about how guys like are obsessed with the Roman Empire. Mm-hmm. For me, it's like John Bonet, and for girl, a lot of like true crime <laughs> girls, I think it's John Bonet. Where like I won't, in the sense like I won't think about it for a while, but then randomly I'll be like, let me just like read about it again, and let me just look this up about it again, and you just randomly get sucked into it again. But since I haven't gone down the rabbit hole for a little while, there are definitely some things like I forgot in rereading it. On I was like, oh yeah, I remember that. And I do feel like there's some new thing, or newish things that we'll get into that have happened over the last few years, which a lot of people probably aren't that familiar with in terms of maybe possible new theories and developments in the case. So it's a good time to revisit it as a refresher for everyone. Yeah. And even like today I was watching YouTube videos and stuff as I do before we record. But even if it's a case you know, I do think it's interesting to hear other people talk about it and hear other people's opinions. Like I was watching some YouTubers and I liked hearing what they all kind of had to say about it. So, And also I thought it's kind of cool today because usually you and I chat a little bit before like about what we think happened and I don't actually know your theory in this case and I, I haven't told you mine. So we'll wait and see if we both have the same thoughts at the end. I don't even know what my thoughts are to be honest. <laughs> they change all the time. So we'll see how I feel when we... We get to the end. Um, before we get into it, we'll have our our personal chat that our controversial chat. And since it's the holidays, I wanted to talk about a little Christmas treat that I made that Olivia said she's been seeing all over like Instagram reels and stuff like that. So I made the Christmas crack recipe, which is basically 
if you haven't seen it online, it's like you put down a layer of saltine crackers on a pan and then you melt butter and brown sugar together and like mix it up so it makes like a toffee caramel consistency. And you pour that over the crackers and you bake it for like five minutes just so it like settles in some more or whatever. And then over that you put chocolate chips and let them melt and you spread them out. So then it's like layers kind of. And then you just let it cool. It is so freaking good. It is like salty, chocolatey, sweet, toffee. It is like the best taste. I could eat the whole thing immediately. So if you've seen the recipe, I'd highly recommend. I, saw, I was telling you that I saw one, and I think it was on Instagram, where they actually used potato chips instead of the saltine crackers or the salty crackers, which I think like at first I'm like, that would be weird, but then I actually think that'd be delicious. <laughs> I don't know. See, like I'm not a big potato chip gal. Oh like, my gosh, you will- I am. You won't be catching me ever just eating potato chips oh. unless unless it's for French onion dip. I love French onion dip oh with potato God. chips. Like, I could not just sit and eat a potato chip. See, I could. Like, our favorite, our family favorite flavor is honey soy chicken. I don't know if you guys mm. have that there, but it's so delicious. And my other one is cheese and onion, which is like a very French oniony flavor as well. But mm. I don't, like, I don't particularly love plain potato chips, but like oniony, oh, yum, flavors. Like, delicious. I could do I could eat like sour cream and onion ones, but just like mm. a regular Lay's potato chip, no thanks. Yum. No, I, 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 chips are like my Roman Empire sometimes. <laughs> <laughs> just think about, oh, what, what chips would I like today? <laughs> um, do you have, this is like a controversial, not controversial, but the Reese's, they make like Reese's with a potato chip in them? Oh, uh, no. We like, see here, we have such a, lesser selection of candy and chips and chocolate um like we do we for years we never even had Reese's I feel like you can get the big peanut butter cups at the shops now but no I haven't seen those here well in America we'll throw anything together and sell it but they make like a big Reese's cup and it has a potato chip in it Mm. and like my mom thinks it's so delish and I'm like "Mm, it's fine I guess I don't know like I don't hate it but I, I definitely don't love it oh my god sounds delicious and I think they sell just like chocolate covered potato chips too. Like I said, I think I'm, I have I'm, seen like I guess it's not that dissimilar to like chocolate covered pretzels, but true. Yeah. I'm not a potato chip girly, so I just don't care. I don't follow <laughs> the potato chip trends. <laughs> uh, I think I might make the Christmas crack either this weekend or soon. Anyway, I might I make it again tomorrow because essentially you could add whatever you want to it. Like you could put all delicious like M and M's on the top, or that's what I did. Oh, did you? Yeah. Mm-hmm. I put M&M minis on top. Yes, it I was going to say the mini like, ones. It looks so plain and boring. So I was like, let me jazz it up because I'm a culinary artiste. It's my daughter's birthday today and she's asked for a churro cake for her birthday. Mm. So I have to do that. But then I was thinking maybe I could do the Christmas crack as well. That would be fun. Are you making a churro cake or no? Buying? No, absolutely <laughs> not. No. I found this place where I can get like 18 churros and all these dipping sauces. So I'll just do Ooh. that and then kind of like form it into some type of cake. Uh, churros are so <laughs> she had, good. I oh know. She had it last year, um, but she's like, I wanted to get, but like we literally just bought a few churros then and the kids all had them. But I thought I'll make it a bit more grand this year with 18. <laughs> nice. <laughs> This is going to be our last episode for the year. It'll come out just before Christmas. I think around the 21st is Thursday. So we will have a week off over Christmas and then we will be back um, early. First week in January, we'll be back with an episode probably on Heather Elvis, unless there's some other breaking news over that time period. But yeah, our week off, um, we're excited to have a little bit of time off. 
very thankful for how much the podcast has grown this year and you know all the lovely messages that we get from you guys every single day so just wanted to take a second to wish you all a happy holiday if you're celebrating stay safe with all your families have fun enjoy the summer if you're in australia yeah (laughs) if you're somewhere else um i also wanted to say actually um besides happy holidays in the last episode that we just put out so it came out today in real lifetime i was talking about how i had so much anxiety about like going to a pizza place and just stupid things like that (laughs) we had a good amount of messages of people being like oh my god i feel the same way like thank you for saying that because i feel less silly and stupid now that was so not funny but it was so interesting because like at one stage it was just message after message after message of the same people saying very similar things oh my god i do that too and like someone said they were trying to buy coffee for a relative and then when they found out they had to go into the store and get it like ground at the store absolutely not (laughs) (laughs) no way (laughs) oh my god that is so me so it's comforting (laughs) to know that we are all insane Um, but just know that if you're like that, we got many messages, so we're all the same. No one's alone. Got a little community going. (laughs) Yeah, and it's funny because I I really thought about editing that part out because I was like, oh, this is stupid. People are just going to tell me I'm a dumb idiot and be mean to me. And No one was. Everyone's been so nice. I was like, no one's going to relate. Like, this is crazy. So, you know, I'm glad that I opened up and that (laughs) everyone else opened up as well. (laughs) I did actually think about yesterday because I went to a different Mexican, like there's some Mexican chains here and I usually go to one that's near my house, but I was at work. So I went to a different one and they have like all these different procedures for ordering. I'm like, oh my God, it's just so overwhelming. (laughs) What do I do here? I only know the other one. (laughs) Oh my God. I, I hate just feeling like you don't know what to do. And some things are so complicated. I did see one day, just in a last random tangent, um, I came across it on Reddit. I don't know what subreddit I was on or how I came across it, but someone made a post that was like, I have really bad anxiety. I really want to get Subway, but I've never gotten Subway before. Oh, and I'm I really, saw that too. Yeah. And they're like, I'm really nervous to do it. Can someone like walk me through like what actually happens? Because I've got Subways have been around f- for me, like since I was little. So, you know, I'd go in with my parents, my parents would order for me. So I'd seen how it was done, but I get how if you've never been to one, it feels really overwhelming because you have to go through every step. And someone commented and walked them through every step and they're like, okay, they're going to ask you what bread you want. These are your <laughs> options. And then you're going to get like, go to this step. What meats you want? You could pick this, this, this. And they walked <laughs> the person through the whole thing, which is mm. really cool, I thought. Yeah, I like it when you go somewhere and it's like, okay, step one, choose your base. Step step two, choose your meat. Like you're like, okay, that's good. I I like these step-by-step routines. Yeah, (laughs) I get anything that's like a little complicated. I have to look it up online before. I'll like look up (laughs) pictures of the menu. I'll look it up on Reddit. I'll do anything so I feel like I'm informed before I show up there before. Because I hate feeling like an idiot. (laughs) And even like when I came over to New York for your wedding, like it is, it's different. Like, it, you know, just little things are different. So I'm like, here I would just walk in and buy, you know, something to take out. But I'm like, I don't know if it's the same here. What do I do? Do I like, <laughs> who, I who do I tip? What do I do? It's all too much. Another good thing that came out of the pandemic, I know we were talking about that, about the traffic, was being able to order food on apps and stuff oh like God. that. Like more places have apps that you can order from. 
I feel like and, here a lot of places bought in QR code order and we'd go to the table and scan the code and order at the table, which I absolutely love that. Mm-hmm. And when I go somewhere, like I feel like some places maybe after the pandemic got rid of it. But now when I like if, if someone says, where do you want to go? I'm like here because we can order at the table. <laughs> yeah. It does make a difference. Like I get yeah. Chipotle all the time because it's near my job for one, but also because they have the app. You can order it on the app. You go to pick it up and you don't even have to talk to anyone. They put yeah. it on a shelf. You just take your order and you leave. That's no human same, interaction. Yeah. Our Mexican one is called Guzmani Gomez, GYG, and that's the same. I'm like, even I'll just send the kids in to pick it up because I'm like, just look for this is our order number. Just go in and pick it up. You don't have to even mention it to anyone. It's great. Yeah. The less human interaction, the better. Please. <laughs> 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 All right. So today we are going to get into the John Bonnet Ramsey case, like we were saying. Obviously, with the JonBenet Ramsey case, there's a ton of information, tons of theories. Fingers have been pointed at basically anyone who lives in Colorado, it seems like. We just tried to kind of pick out the most important, relevant parts of the story and the theories that we thought were the most interesting and things like that. So obviously, if you're going to be one of those people, it's like, you didn't talk about this. You didn't talk about this theory or this person. Like, we know. we You could do a whole <laughs> series on JonBenet Ramsey, so... And I feel like that this is going to be an episode or a case where there is going to be a lot of people who know a lot about this case. So mm-hmm. what we've tried to do is pick out the most important bits for people who aren't too familiar or who would like to just kind of run over the main points of the case as well. But I agree, so much information out there. Book like dozens or maybe hundreds of books, TV shows, documentaries, if you, podcasts. Yeah, <laughs> want to do a deep dive, you could spend the rest of the whole of 2024 on it. I think this will give you like the background to then be able to go in deep dive and have a better understanding. And especially into parts that you find interesting. Like, you know, some people might find some of the evidence interesting. Some people might find some of the suspects interesting. So yeah, kind of a base point to do a deep dive if you'd like. Mm -hmm. And just as a trigger warning, this does um, discuss a little bit about child sexual abuse and obviously child murder. So just as a heads up. She's the adorable little girl whose murder has baffled investigators for the last 25 years. Six-year-old pageant contestant John Benet Ramsey was found strangled in the basement of her own home in Boulder, Colorado, the day after Christmas, 1996. Inside Edition has been reporting on the case ever since. A story that is gripping the nation. It is the investigation of the murder of little John Benet Ramsey. John Benet's slaying is now one of America's greatest murder mysteries. 25 years later, after countless twists and turns, false leads, and dead ends, the case remains frustratingly unsolved. Very little about this case makes sense. Investigative reporter Paula Woodward has covered the case from day one. The investigation, she says, was flawed from the beginning. You'll have a police department in Boulder which did not have a homicide department because they simply didn't have enough homicides to justify one. So who did it? Early on, suspicion fell on John Bonet's family. Please, if you know anything, I beg you to call us. It was leaked by the police that the Ramseys, quote, weren't acting right. But Woodward says the suspicions flew in the face of the evidence. There are police reports which say that first night, Patsy and John Ramsey were hysterical with crying. They couldn't stand up. They would fall to the floor. The Ramseys were officially exonerated in 2008. Posthumously, in Patty Ramsey's case, she died from ovarian cancer two years before. 
JonBenet Patricia Ramsey was born on August 6, 1990 in Atlanta, Georgia. It's crazy that she is basically like would be my age. I oh, know. I always think that now she'd be, you know, over 30. It's she's was always immortalized so. forever as this six-year-old kid. So, yeah. yeah. Her parents were Patricia, who went by Patsy, and John Bennett Ramsey. So JonBenet's parents made up her name by combining the father's names and the mother's name middle name to get JonBenet. Very creative. Um, Patsy was around 34 when JonBenet was born and John was 47. JonBenet also had an older brother named Burke and he was born in 1987. Just as some background is parents, so you can get an idea of what they were like, Patsy was born in Parkersburg, West Virginia on December 29th, 1956. Hmm, so this all happened near her birthday too, which I never really thought about. Mm. Her parents were Nedra, Ellen, Ann, and Donald Ray Powell. Donald worked as an engineer and manager at Union Carbide, and Patsy graduated from Parkersburg High School in 1975. She attended West Virginia University, where she belonged to a sorority, and and she graduated with a bachelor's in journalism in 1978. She won the Miss West Virginia beauty title in 1977, and her sister Pamela Ellen won the Miss West Virginia title at age 24 in 1980. So they were a pageant family, which is relevant because John Bonet also did pageants. So John, he was born in Lincoln, Nebraska on December 7th, 1943, also a December birthday. His parents were Mary Jane and James Dudley Ramsey. And, and James, he was a decorated World War II pilot. Jonathan Okamos High School in Michigan in 1966, and he graduated from Michigan State University with a bachelor's degree in electrical engineering. John earned a master's degree in business administration from MSU in 1971. He then joined the Navy in 1966 and served as a civil engineer corps officer in the Philippines for three years and in an Atlanta reserve unit for an additional eight years. So John had been married before, and his first marriage ended in 1978. We believe he had three children with his first wife, and their names are Melinda, John Andrew, and Elizabeth. He then married Patsy on November 5th, 1980. So John worked as the president of Access Graphics, which is a computer software company, and he moved his family to Boulder, Colorado in 1991, as that's where the headquarters of the company was. JonBenet was enrolled in kindergarten at High Peaks Elementary School in Boulder at the time of her death. Patsy entered JonBenet into many child beauty pageants. I think when most people think of JonBenet, they think of her pageant photos because that is the pictures that are always put on tabloids and magazines and documentaries. Always her all dressed up with her big curled hair, makeup, looking like a cute little doll. Yeah, I feel like pageantry seems to have died down a little bit. Like I feel like in the 90s it was very big still. Like obviously I know it still happens, but like I remember when John Bonet, when this case did happen, a lot of people would just discuss the pageant side and about how her mother had kind of like there was arguments as if to her mother had exploited her and, you know, different things like that. But yeah. she did like there are a ton of photos of her at pageants, so she clearly participated in many of them. Um, I think they're still bigger in the South. I don't yeah. I'm not totally across it. Around here in New York, I don't see anything like that ever advertised or going on. I mean, I might just not be in the scene, but it's not something that's at the forefront anywhere that I've noticed. 
Um, but in the South, I think it's still a big thing. I'm sure people will definitely let us know. When you look at some of the costumes that she was wearing, basically they're just miniature adult costumes. Like there's one where she's got like a, looks like almost like a blazer with shoulder pads. Like <laughs> yeah, a, <laughs> it's very 90s, um, 90s-esque costumes. Mm-hmm. But yeah, just Google if John Bonet pageant, there's hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of photos of her of her in pageants. She yeah. was a very photogenic little girl. She was beautiful. Yeah. My name is John Bonet Lindsay, and I'm five and a half. Five and a half. Okay. Pick one. Two left. Okay. What is your favorite animal at the zoo? The monkeys because they laugh and stuff and hang around. John Bonet won at the titles of America's. Royal Miss, Little Miss Colorado, Colorado State All-Star, Kids Cover Girl, and National Tiny Miss Beauty. To jump a little bit here, because we're just going chronologically, but so John's daughter, Elizabeth Ramsey, died at the age of 22 on January 8th, 1992, following a car accident. Um, And then in 1993, Patsy was diagnosed with stage four ovarian cancer, and she underwent treatment and her cancer went into remission at this point. So we'll get into the timeline now, starting around Christmas time, 1996, around when Jean Bonnet was killed. So on December 23rd, 1996, which was a Thursday, the Ramses hosted a Christmas party at their home. Around 30 of their friends and colleagues attended. So the, just just as a point here, when we talk about the Ramses had the party in their home, the house is stunning. Like it's 7,000 square feet, five bedrooms, eight bathrooms. Um, it, it's actually like for sale right now as we speak. And the asking price is $6.249 million. Um, it's like been it's for a, sale for a while. I feel like it's, yeah, been on and off. Um, I wonder if the sales history is here. Yeah. Yeah. So. 91 days. Yeah, it was for sale. Yeah, it has. It's been for sale since 2022. It was first for sale for 7.2. They took the listing down in December last year, put it back up in January at 6.9, and now they changed the price in September to 6.249. Yeah, it's um, a really nice oh, house. Oh, it's beautiful. It says, stately and modernised 1920s Tudor estate in an epic boulder location on three lots, stunning curb appeal, um, elegant living areas, impressive rooms with east, south, and west exposure, filling the house with natural light, luxurious gourmet kitchen, catering kitchen, mature landscaping. There's a top floor penthouse primary suite with two full baths, fireplace, intricate millwork. Like it's it's an amazing, amazing house. It's not just your standard suburban house, really. It's stunning. Yeah. Buying a murder house, I think we've talked about this before, wouldn't really bother me necessarily but i feel like this one's different because jean Monnet's such a high profile case i'd be more worried about people coming to just try to see the yeah. house and stuff like that yeah and i know even like kind of as a side note i read an article today that apparently they are going to knock the moscow murder house down on december 28 mm-hmm. like i'm i am surprised i guess just the finishes in this house you know i feel like it surely would have been better to knock it down and start again and rather than like those people have been trying now for over a year to sell it I feel like I'm surprised it wasn't knocked down earlier on and rebuilt. I feel like it was heavily renovated, I've seen. But yeah, I feel like unless it's totally knocked down, no matter how much you renovate the inside, people are just going to be like, oh, that's the house. That was like John Bonet's house. That's where John Bonet was killed. And there's a lot of creeps who are just like, obviously, there's true crime people who are very into the case, but there's a lot of creeps that are just obsessed with John Bonet. 
Yeah. Which we'll kind of get into. So then on Christmas Day, December 25th, the family attended another Christmas party with family and friends. Um, John said that after they got home, he put JonBenet to bed. And the only people in the house at this time were Patsy, John, JonBenet, and Burke. So the following day, December 26th, Patsy woke up early. Some reports say that the family were going to fly to Michigan, where where John's adult children live, to visit family. Patsy said that as she was getting up, she came across a ransom note on the stairs, and she called police at 5.52 a.m. long but we will read it because the note is something that's talked about a lot it's like a big talking point with this case and there's actual copies of the note online as well like you can see the handwriting that's not just transcribed like the actual kind of note has been released to the public yeah it's a wild ransom note but i guess we'll talk about our thoughts later at the end i guess or yeah so it starts mr ramsey listen carefully we are a group of individuals that represent a small foreign faction We do respect your business, but not the country that it serves. At this time, we have your daughter in our possession. She is safe and unharmed, and if you want her to see 1997, you must follow our instructions to this letter. You will withdraw $118,000 from your account. $100,000 will be in $100 bills and the remaining $18,000 in $20 bills. Make sure that you bring an adequate adequate size attache to the bank. When you get home, you will put the money in a brown paper bag. I will call you between 8 and 10 a.m. tomorrow to instruct you on delivery. The delivery will be exhausting, so I advise you to be rested. If we monitor you getting the money early, we might call you early to arrange an earlier delivery of the money and hence an earlier delivery pickup of your daughter. Any deviation of my instructions will result in the immediate execution of your daughter. You will also be denied her remains, her proper burial. The two gentlemen watching over your daughter do not particularly like you, so I advise you not to provoke them. Speaking to anyone about your situation, such as police, FBI, etc., will result in your daughter being beheaded. If we catch you talking to a stray dog, she dies. 
If you alert bank authorities, she dies. If the money is in any way marked or tampered with, she dies. You'll be scanned for electronic devices, and if any are found, she dies. You can try to deceive us, but be warned that we are familiar with law enforcement, countermeasures, and tactics. You stand a 99% chance of killing your daughter if you try to outsmart us. Follow our instructions, and you stand a 100% chance of getting her back. You and your family are under constant scrutiny as well as the authorities. Don't try to grow a brain, John. You are not the only fat cat around, so don't think that killing will be difficult. Don't underestimate us, John. Use that good southern common sense of yours. It is up to you now, John. Victory. SBTC. When police arrived on the scene around 6 a.m., John pointed out that the amount requested in the note, $118,000, was basically identical to the Christmas bonus he'd received the prior year. I also think it's weird that, like, the prior year, not this year. Yeah, I wonder when he got his Christmas bonus. The FBI would later examine the note and noted that it was unusually long. They told police that it was very unusual for such a note to actually be written at the crime scene. So the note and kind of like a practice draft written with a pen and notepad were found in the Ramsey home. So it's known that this long note was written in their house because it was written on one of Patsy's notepads with one of her pens they were able to tell. Because you know when you write with a yeah. pen and a notepad, it leaves an impression on the next Indentation, page. Indentation, yeah. Yeah. So they were able to tell that. So this wildly long note for breaking into someone's house and kidnapping slash murdering their daughter with all of these very big words seems like an insane thing to be writing. I know. Like, I feel like if you had been planning to go and kidnap a child for ransom, surely you would have the note ready to go so you don't have to spend any extra time in the house. But they wrote a draft note. They wrote the note. It's, yeah, it's a lot like writing of wasted this out, time. In the handwriting, not that it's like neat, but it doesn't seem like rushed. Like, you know what I mean? Yeah, it's very legible. Like, you know, it's, like, yeah. it's a little sloppy, but it doesn't seem like shaky, panicky, like they were rushing. It's basically, I'm not sure what size the notebook was, if it was like A4 size or whatever, but it's essentially two and a half notebook pages. So it's not just a quick give us 100K or we're going to kill the daughter. It was. Two and a half handwritten pages of a ransom note. So it's it's a le- very lengthy one. Yeah. Um, this, to me, we'll get into like our, th- our theories and the theories at the end, but this is like the number one kind of red flag to me that this was like set up by someone on the inside. Yeah. So police conducted a basic search of the home that morning, and they didn't find any sign of forced entry. Officer Rick French went to the basement of the home and found that it was secured with a wooden latch. He considered opening it, but didn't. And he said later that he was looking for an exit, an exit route used by the kidnapper and that the closed peg ruled this out as an option. I was actually thinking about this this morning when I was in the shower. I'm like, this is so weird to me that they didn't search the whole house. Like if my kid was missing before I even called police, that would be the first thing I would do. I look harder for one of my cats when I can't find them. (laughs) I guess it's harder. When your house is 7,000 square feet. <laughs> True. But, like, I just feel like surely that would have been – and even as a dispatcher, you would be like, did you check the house? But, anyway, yeah. it's just weird to me. Like, when I can't find one of my cats, I'm looking every crevice, every nook and cranny until I find them. If your kid is missing, you're just going to be like, eh, she's probably not in the basement. We don't go yeah. in there that much. <laughs> Crazy. Um. So a forensics team was sent to the house, and only JonBenet's room was cordoned off. 
to preserve evidence, and there was no attempt done to preserve any evidence in the rest of the house. Then friends started arriving at the home to support Patsy and John, and visitors were helping clean up the home, which meant that they were also destroying evidence in the process. Another weird thing to me is, like, I get if your daughter's missing or you're kind of in a panic, you maybe call one family member or something. But they called, like, many family members and friends, and they all came to the house for some reason. There was many people in the house. So weird. So John started making arrangements to pay the ransom that was demanded in the note, and a detective from Boulder arrived at 8 a.m. in anticipation of getting further contact from the kidnappers. As mentioned in the note, they would be calling again. But the call never came, and there was never an attempt by anyone to claim the money. So at 1 p.m., finally... A detective asked John and a family friend named Fleet White to search the house to see if anything seemed amiss. They started the search of the house in the basement, and John opened the door that we mentioned had the wooden peg keeping it closed, and that is when he found John Bonet's lifeless body. I have heard in other things I've watched that the police specifically told them, like, if they found anything, not to touch it, not Mm. to contaminate the scene, don't destroy the evidence, but that is not what happened. So Jamine, her mouth was covered by duct tape. She was bound with a nylon cord around her wrists and neck. Her body had been covered by a white blanket, and there was also a boot mark that was left in the room near where her body was found. So John, not listening to the advice of the detective, picked up John Monet's body. He also took the duct tape off of her mouth, and he brought her upstairs to further contaminating the scene. The call was made to 911, and within two or three minutes, Patsy Ramsey's on the phone to her friends and neighbors, come on over. John was also making calls. He said, they've got her. What do you mean they've got her? They've kidnapped John Binet. She's gone. And people were streaming through that house. They were in the kitchen. They were in the living room. They're all talking. They're passing the ransom note around. The police should have secured that scene by telling everybody, get out. I'm sorry, this is a crime scene. It was just one of many mistakes police made that day. The first detective on the scene also did something that would radically compromise the case. Linda Arndt tells the restless John, why don't you look around the house, see if anything is missing or uh, looks strange. Start at the top and go to the bottom. But he didn't do that. He went to the basement first where, of course, whoa, he finds his daughter's body. I saw her lying on the floor with a white blanket. Her hands were tied above her head. She had tape over her mouth. Her eyes were closed. And lo and behold, when John Ramsey finds the body, you now have John Ramsey at the crime scene. John Ramsey picked that little girl up, took the tape off of her mouth, and dragged her upstairs in his arms. And then the coup de grace. He grabs a blanket, which is full of who knows what kind of contaminants, and throws it over the body. Right then and there, the police investigation was tainted. So John Binet was taken for an autopsy where her cause of death was established as strangulation and a skull fracture. The official cause of death was listed as asphyxia by strangulation associated with craniocerebral trauma, and her death was ruled a homicide. Sexual assault couldn't be ruled out But the investigation showed no signs of conventional rape. There's no semen found on her body. There's evidence that she had a vaginal injury. And the pathologist said that it appeared her vaginal area had been wiped with a cloth. In terms of the vaginal injury, it was said to have been digital instead of penile. Bifringement material was found in her vagina, which turned out to be consistent 
consistent with the coating of one of Patsy's paintbrush handles. There's discussion online as to if JonBenet was actually penetrated with the paintbrush or if the material could have been transferred by the attacker's hands because the paintbrush theory is interesting because the garrote, so like we said, she'd been strangled with a garrote, which is basically like a wooden thing, a handle like makes attached it easy. to a wire. Yeah, like you don't want to get into too much graphic detail, but basically it's almost like a handle that allows you to tighten yeah. Something. So you'd kind of use it to rather than just pulling the wire or the, you know, the nylon taut yourself, you'd use this to kind of tighten it. So it was almost impossible to get off or untighten. So the handle of the garrot was one of Patsy's paintbrushes. So while a person was maybe doing the strangling, like obviously that paintbrush was in their hand, the paintbrush was also broken. So it wouldn't be that weird for them to have the material on their hands. So the paintbrush had been broken into three pieces and the bristle end was found among Patsy's art supplies, but the bottom part of the paintbrush was never found. So that's just weird too. Like why would the person take the paintbrush and then put like break it and put the bristle end back? It's just a weird. But also with the way this original investigation was going, if it was like on the floor under something, I wouldn't be surprised that they just didn't look hard enough to find it. So the contents of John Binet's stomach were examined and a vegetable or fruit material, which may represent pineapple, was found. So it seems like John Binet had eaten fruit a few hours before she died. And there are photos from the Ramsey home that were taken on the 26th that show a bowl of pineapple on the kitchen table with a spoon in it. Both Patsy and John said they did not give John Binet the pineapple to eat. So there are pictures of this that you can see. It does kind of look like, I know I've, when I was looking at these photos, some people are speculating if there was milk in the bowl. So, like, can you see that? Like, especially on that photo. It does look photo. like it, but I think it's just the photo. Yeah. I feel like, it, like, so in terms of that, it would kind of be like she was eating the pineapple, whoever was eating the pineapple like cereal that had poured milk into it. But it was kind of weird. But yeah, there's just like a white bowl with still a fair bit of pineapple in it. Like, it's a pretty full bowl with the spoon hanging I think out. It's- strange to eat pineapple with a spoon yeah i would use a fork i would use a fork yeah like i said we'll get into theories later but everyone is always thinking were the parents involved see if they eat pineapple with a spoon (laughs) who eats pineapple with a spoon because i feel like that's not normal yeah please don't be mad at me if you eat pineapple with a spoon (laughs) just my opinion um so there's also a glass with a tea bag inside of it found next to the pineapple bowl the clear drinking glass had fingerprints on it belonging to Burke. There's no fingerprints of Patsy on the drinking glass. The white bowl had one print belonging to Burke and the other belonging to Patsy. And there are no fingerprints of Burke or Patsy on the spoon. It's just weird. Like, who, so whose fingerprints were? Were there fingerprints on the spoon? So JonBenet was buried on December 31st, 1996 at the St. James Episcopal Cemetery in cremation gardens in marietta georgia her grave is next to the resting place of her half-sister elizabeth in terms of the investigation into john benet's murder boulder police began by focusing exclusively on john and patsy on march 7th 1997 it was announced that following a handwriting analysis it had been determined that john did not write the ransom note found in the home the same analysis did not rule out patsy though on April 18th, 1997, an investigator named John and Patsy officially as suspects in their daughter's murder. In June 1997, Burke Ramsey was questioned for the first time. Police did eventually widen their investigation, and by October 1997, they had over 1,600 people in the index of persons of interest. 
This is an excerpt from an article in the Daily Camera about the case. It says, contrary to allegations that authorities have focused entirely on the Ramsey family as suspects, investigators have discussed the crime with several people and contacted sex offenders registered in Boulder. They've obtained handwriting, blood, and hair samples from the Ramseys, from the Ramseys, family, friends, and others. So the investigation was bungled from the start due to the contamination of the crime scene, as we mentioned. People were all over the Ramsey's house. People were touching everything and cleaning everything up. John picked up John Benet's body and moved her. So the evidence was basically all ruined. Um, a grand jury for the case convened on September 15, 1998. And the purpose of the grand jury was to consider indicting John and Patsy for charges relating to John Benet's murder. In 1999, the grand jury returned a true bill to charge the Ramses with placing the child at risk in a way that led to her death with obstructing an investigation or murder due to John Ramsey's tampering with the crime scene. Based on the probable cause standard applied in such grand jury proceedings, but Boulder, Colorado District Attorney Alex Hunter did not prosecute them because he did not believe that he could meet the higher standard of proving guilt beyond a reasonable doubt as required for a conviction. On December 26, 2002, Mary Lacey, who would be the next Boulder County District Attorney, took over the investigation. That same year, Patsy's ovarian cancer returned. In April 2003, Mary Lacey agreed with a federal judge who said that the evidence in the suit is more consistent with the theory that an intruder murdered John Bonet than it was that the Ramseys did. Patsy died from ovarian cancer at age 49 on June 24, 2006. John was by her side when she passed away. Patsy was buried next to JonBenet. They had a pretty tragic life, really. Like when you think yeah. John lost a daughter, then another daughter, and then his wife. Like all, of, and Patsy to die at forty-nine—that's so young as well. Like it was, you know, I feel like so much tragedy for one family. Yeah, definitely. So on August fifteenth, two thousand and six, John Mark Carr was arrested in Bangkok, Thailand, after he confessed to murdering John Bonet. I remember this happening. Like I remember Same. as this was happening in real time, and everyone's like, "Wow, they finally found the killer." He said that he had drugged and sexually assaulted her before accidentally killing her. He told reporters, "I was with John Bonet when she died. Her death was an accident." When he was asked if he was innocent of the crime, he said, no, I am so very sorry for what happened to John Bonet. It's very important for me that everyone knows that I love her very much, that her death was unintentional, that it was an accident. He was asked to describe what actually happened when John Bonet died. He said it would take several hours to describe that. It's a very involved series of events that would involve a lot of time. It's very painful for me to talk about. Oh, shut up. Like I know. There's actually a website called johnmarkcar.com. Um, there's quotes about the case on there. Like the main headline, it says, the media and public controls the narrative about me. If they say I was a delusional lion sack of shit in 2006 about a high-class little girl they think I was too pathetic to even meet, the public latches onto that lie and now promotes it on social media, adding their own lies in their posts about me on platforms like Reddit, Facebook, and X. So someone the, loves attention. You sh- like this, even in the notes, I wrote the link to the website, johnmarkcar.com and like WTF, because <laughs> it's a very interesting website. If you want to check it out, he still updates it. He posts about death threats that he gets. Uh, like it's a lot. <laughs> Seems like John Mark Carr just wants to be associated with this case, in my opinion. It's a case that had run cold for a decade, the unsolved murder of six-year-old beauty queen John Benet Ramsey. But now, in an instant, it is once again red hot. And here's why. 
the arrest of 41-year-old John Mark Carr. In a bizarre twist, while he was being paraded before cameras, Carr actually responded to reporters' questions, admitting that he killed John Benet Ramsey. I love oh, John Benet, and she died accidentally. Are you going to get none? No. What happened? Were you playing with her? What happened? Um, her death was, was an accident. So you were in the basement? Yes. Mm -hmm. Can you tell us about your connection to the Ramsey family? Uh, no comment. Mm -hmm. How did you get into the basement? No comment. And how, how do you feel now? How are you um, I'm being treated okay. How long have you known John Uh No comment on that. The break in the case came when investigators tracked Carr to Thailand after learning of emails he was sending to Michael Tracy, a University of Colorado professor who was making a documentary about the case. Well, I think the history of the track record of the police in this, in this case is not great. Um, so no, I didn't go to the police. I went to the DA's office. Authorities trailed Carr for three weeks, even photographing him in front of his Bangkok home, and eventually linked him to a warrant in the U.S. stemming from a 2001 child porn case. John. Mark Carr, 41 years old, was arrested for the murder of John Benet Ramsey yesterday morning at approximately 6 a.m. in Bangkok, Thailand. He began his employment as a second grade teacher in the international school system in Bangkok on Tuesday morning of this week. It was an announcement that was 10 years in the making. Could this be the event that would remove the umbrella of suspicion that had covered the Ramses for a decade? But despite all the excitement surrounding Carr's arrest, his confession may raise as many questions as it answers. There's a great deal of speculation and a desire for quick answers here. We should all heed the poignant advice of John Ramsey yesterday. He said, do not jump to conclusions, do not jump to judgment, do not speculate. Law enforcement is now encouraging people to exercise patience and caution. There have been no charges filed at this time. The analysis of the evidence in this case continues on a day-by-day, -day, on an hour-by-hour -hour basis as we speak. An analysis that will surely examine the apparent inconsistencies in Carr's dramatic confession. I am so very sorry for what happened to John Binet. In off-camera comments recorded by the AP, Carr restated his claim that John Binet's death was an accident. And it's very important uh, for me that everyone knows that I love her very much and that her death was unintentional and it was an accident. So at the time they did interview his ex-wife, Lara Carr, she was interviewed by KGO TV in California and she said that she didn't believe John was responsible for the homicide. She said that John had spent a lot of time studying the cases of John Bonet and also Polly Class, who was abducted from her home in California and she was murdered in 1993. John also attempted to communicate with Patsy before her death. Patsy never replied, but she gave the information to investigators. There is no evidence linking John Mark Carr to John Bonet's murder. John Bonet had not been drugged as per his claims and the DNA did not match what was found on the body. Just as a note, John would later transition to a female who now goes by the name Alexis Valorant Reich or Delia Alexis Reich.
Um, so that was kind of a bit of a distraction, a bit of noise in the case um, where I feel like everyone thought, wow, maybe this is it, but I clearly wasn't. On July 9th, 2008, the Boulder County DA's office announced that as a result of new DNA techniques, the Ramsey family members were excluded as suspects in the case. The testing was conducted on a different area of JonBenet's clothing and it matched DNA tested from her panties in 1997. They said the genetic profile belongs to a male and it does not belong to anyone in the Ramsey family. The unexplained third-party DNA on the clothing of the victim is very significant and powerful evidence. So as part of the investigation into JonBenet's murder, the Boulder police identified genetic material with apparent evidentiary value. Over time, the police con- continued to investigate the DNA. They kind of used advances in scientific science and me- you know methodology of testing and that the DNA was from a profile of John Brené's blood, which had been located in the crotch of her underwear. Um, so as we said, it belongs to a male. Mary Lacey's office issued a press release at the time. The police department diligently compared the profile to a very large number of people associated with the victim, with her family and with the investigation and has not identified the source, innocent or otherwise, of this DNA. The Boulder police and prosecutors assigned to this investigation in the past also worked conscientiously with lab analysis to obtain better results through new approaches and additional tests as they became available. Those efforts ultimately led to the discovery of sufficient genetic markers from this male profile to enter it into the National DNA Bank. So prosecutors said at the time that they were deeply sorry for putting their family under suspicion for more than 10 years. Mary Lacey wrote a letter to John Ramsey. She said, to the extent that we may have contributed in any way to the public perception that you may have been involved in this crime, I am deeply sorry. No innocent person should have to endure such an extensive trial in the court of public opinion. John did speak to the media after the family was cleared. He said, I think that people that are in charge of the investigation are focused on that and it gives me a lot of comfort. Certainly we are grateful that they acknowledge that we, based on that, certainly could not have been involved. But the most important thing is that we now have very, very solid evidence. That's always been my hope, at least in the recent past, that it would lead us to the killer eventually. So I feel at the time there was a lot of backlash because Patsy died before she was apparently cleared. Uh, this was is so weird to me. I think this is just another crazy part of the case. Who... Like, the DA isn't the person who's supposed to be clearing people. It's, like, the police, the FBI. And I just think this was... And she's apologizing to them. I don't know. It's super weird to me. Because I don't think they should have been cleared based off of literally touch DNA, which is alone not conclusive at all. Like, touch DNA could be from anything. And I feel like, too, a lot of people feel that exact way, which we'll get into kind of in theories, but we've asked our Instagram followers what they think and their results are interesting. But I feel like a lot of people also agree that they shouldn't have been cleared based on that. Yeah, very strange. It's the latest controversy in a case full of problems. A bungled crime scene, infighting among investigators and prosecutors. First of all, many of you know that last week... A decision by former District Attorney Alex Hunter to drop charges authorized by a grand jury against John and Patsy Ramsey. Mary Lacey succeeded Hunter in 2001 with a reputation as a strong supporter of the intruder theory. When she issued her exoneration letter and apologized to the Ramseys, she created the impression that if someone could just identify the person whose DNA profile had been found, the case would be solved. We now have pretty irrefutable DNA evidence according to the DA's office, and that's the most significant thing to me, and certainly we are grateful that they acknowledged that we, you know, based on that, certainly could not have 
been involved. So we had D8, D21. Nine wants to know when the daily camera took those same lab results to forensic experts. Yeah. The first time that data had ever been independently evaluated. And those experts agreed. The DNA results don't come close to proving that an intruder killed John Bonet. It's certainly possible that an intruder was responsible for the murder, but I don't think that the DNA evidence proves it. The only way I can describe this evidence is uninformative. It really is, it's not dispositive of the presence of a perpetrator. There is foreign DNA, but that foreign DNA can easily be accounted for by a number of innocent mechanisms. So just on that topic, in 2015, Boulder Police Chief Mark Beckner spoke about how he disagreed with the Ramses being cleared. He said, exonerating anyone on a small piece of evidence that has not yet been proven to be connected to the crime is absurd. He also said that the unknown DNA from John Bernays' clothing has got to be the focus of, the, of this investigation at this point in time, and that until one can prove otherwise, the suspect is the donator of the unknown DNA. In 2016, Gordon Coombs, who's a former investigator for the Boulder County District Attorney, also questioned the Ramseys being exonerated. He said, we all shed DNA all the time within our skin cells. It can be deposited anywhere at any time for various reasons, reasons that are benign. To clear someone just on the premise of touch DNA, especially when you have a situation where the crime scene wasn't secure at the beginning, is a stretch, which is exactly what you said. Yeah. And I also was reading specifically about touch DNA in relation to JonBenet's case, it's interesting because people, other people who have looked at the DNA and the report about the touch DNA, it says that they believe that the samples that they pulled from her clothing is from multiple people. And specifically said in the thing that the DA got, this should not be consider- considered being from a singular donor. Source. It seems like two or more people. So... And one documentary I watched a while ago, I don't remember the exact facts, so, but they said it could even be, like, the people who made the clothing, yeah. who, like, made the underwear, manufactured it, like, if it was newer underwear, things like that. I think maybe she got it for Christmas, like, you know, like, and that maybe, you know, she wore it without being washed, so there's a whole, there's a whole bunch of reasons why there could be other DNA on it. Yeah, and they had so many people in their house, they went to multiple Christmas parties where, Like, one of them was just her pajama pants. Like, Mm. that's not weird for someone to be touching, specifically. All right. So a pedophile named Gary Oliva was imprisoned in 2016 for possessing child pornography, and he received a 10-year term. Since he has been in prison, he has confessed multiple times to killing JonBenet. Gary has written to an old classmate and has many times mentioned JonBenet in those letters. And the classmate is named Michael Vale, and he has spoken to the media a lot about the communication that he's had with Gary. This is kind of a direct quote from an article. It says, in that phone call, I hadn't talked to him for quite some time. I was on friendly terms and I wasn't bringing up John Bonet. But right away, he brings up that he wants more photos of John Bonet. He wants me to send more photos of her. And I said, I don't think I can do that. And then he goes on to say, and he told me, but she's my Jesus Christ. She's my religious right. And people in prison have a religious right to pursue their religious beliefs. Michael said, he just has this fascination with this girl. It's bizarre. I can't believe he hasn't been arrested for her murder. To me, there's no doubt in my mind that he did this. I'm puzzled and there's so much evidence. So I've posted some of the um, letters and drawings that he's done on our Instagram today, and I'll post them again when this episode comes out. But basically he does these kind of creepy sketches of JonBenet. There's one of her, like she's crucified on the cross and it says JonBenet Christ. She's got the kind of pins in her arms and her legs holding her to the cross. Another one, he's 
kind of sketched a very famous photo of her. So he's included a drawing of her. Um, there's, these are some other excerpts from letters that Gary has written. He said, I never loved anyone like I did John Bonet, and yet I let her slip and her head bashed in half and I watched her die, which isn't how she died, so that's not quite true, but disturbing nonetheless. He then goes on to say, it was an accident. Please believe me, it was not like the other kids. He goes, John Bonet completely changed me and removed, removed all evil from me. He said, just one look at her beautiful face, her glowing beautiful skin and her divine God body. I realized I was wrong to kill other kids, yet by accident she died and it was my fault. So Gary has apparently been investigated in regards to John Bonet's case for years. He apparently called Michael, who's the classmate, on December 26, 1996, before John Bonet's death had made the media and he said, I hurt a little girl. Michael has said that he called police on December 27th and told them what Gary had said, but no police investigators ever responded to his tip. He said he called for a second time three months later and again, nobody ever responded. John Ramsey has spoken about Gary to the media. He said the Boulder police were the biggest obstacle to finding the killer, that's for sure. He said very early on, the Boulder district attorney called our detectives with the Oliva lead. He asked, he said he knew the police wouldn't follow up, but asked that we follow up. John said, Oliva definitely made it to the top of my list of suspects when I first learned about him. So Gary did attend a vigil for John Bonet that was held one year after her death. He also had ties for an address just 13 homes away from the Ramseys where he was said to have collected his mail and he was offered spotted drinking in the parking lot. I believe it was a church um, where I guess he used to hang out in the parking lot there. Mm. Um, so he was also found to be one of 38 registered sex offenders living within a two-mile radius of the Ramsey home. In 1990, Gary was charged with sexually abusing a seven-year-old girl. The following year, he was charged with attempted murder after he tried to strangle his mother with a telephone cord. During this attack, Gary threatened his mother saying, I should have killed you a long time ago. When the sheriffs arrive, they will find you dead. The report says Oliva removed a butcher knife from the drawer and had it in his possession. He also pulled a telephone cord loose from a phone and wrapped it around his mother's neck and began tightening it, which I guess is kind of interesting because that is essentially what happened to John Bonet and how she was murdered. Mm. So Gary ran off from police before police arrived, but he was later caught and he was jailed at that time for 17 months. When he was arrested for a third time, this time was in Boulder on December 12, 2000, he was found with a stun gun in his possession along with a photo of John Bonet, news clippings about the case and a poem he'd written titled Ode to John Bonet. When he was arrested in 2016, his phone had almost 700 images of child sex abuse material. Um, there were 300 photos, th- over 300 photos of and relating to John Bonet. They're not obviously indicating that they were sex abuse photos of John Bonet, but just that he had hundreds and hundreds of photos of John Bonet. Mm-hmm. Um, the report says some irregular photos of her likely found online. Of these photos, 19 were images of John Bonet's autopsy from photographs that had been leaked to the press in the past. There were many photographs of what appears to be shrines to John Bonet. It is unknown where these shrines are located and if they were created by Oliva or not. So just in the last few days, there's been some interesting information too about handwriting experts that have looked at the writing from Gary's letters, of which there are many, and compared them to the ransom note. The experts are Moselle Martin and Dawn McCarthy, and they said that they each conducted an independent handwriting analysis and that Gary most likely authored the Ramsey ransom letter on a scale of one through five with one being a definite. Both experts ranked Gary at a 1.75, which is very interesting. 
So the experts did talk about their reasoning. They said, the first thing I look for is similarities. So I start with spacing, size, slant margins, and things like that. Then I look for the anomalies or consistent inconsistencies, things that pop up and are unique. When you overlay some of those letters and words, words and letters from different areas of writing, and they line up so well, that's a loud pronouncement in my profession. And then they said, you can't make this up. Two separate sets of documents by two different authors have the exact same spacing and all the consistent inconsistencies. How could that possibly be? They said, there are too many things that are just hard to ignore. They also finished with, that doesn't mean to say he 100% wrote the ransom note, but it does call for a serious and more thorough investigation into Gary Oliva. All right, so that is kind of it up to date chronologically for the John Bonet case as of December 2023. Obviously, December 25, 26 will be the anniversary of this case. Um, in terms of theories that are discussed, there are basically two general theories. One is that a family member was involved and the other one is that an intruder was involved. According to Greg McCrary, who's a retired profiler with the FBI, statistically it is a 12 to 1 probability that it's a family member or a caregiver who is involved in the homicide of a child. Some kind of pieces of evidence that support a family member being involved, they said there was no sign of forced entry. There was evidence that the scene was staged, which we spoke about with the practice note and the, the apparent abductor and killer taking the time to do a draft note and then write the very lengthy ransom note. It was reported in the past that the Ramseys weren't always cooperative, but Patsy and John said this was due to their fear that the investigation would only focus on them. One theory is that Patsy killed John Bonet in a fit of rage after she wet the bed. Patsy wasn't known to be rageful though. Burke has said we didn't get spanked, nothing of the sort, nothing close, nothing near laying a finger on us, let alone killing your child. One of the other main family involvement theories is that Burke was responsible for his sister's death and that his parents covered up for him. So Burke was nine at the time that John Bonet died. He was interviewed by investigators at least three times and a review by a child psychologist stated that it appeared the Ramseys had a healthy, caring family and had a healthy, caring family relationships. There's a CBS show called The Case of John Bonet Ramsey from 2016. The show featured a group of experts who theorized that Burke had hit John Bonet in the head with a heavy object like a flashlight after she took some pineapple from his bowl. They suggested that the ransom note had been written to cover up what happened to John Bonet. So Burke did end up filing a bunch of defamation suits against CBS. He sued them for $750 million at one point, and the case was settled in 2019. The kind of details about the case have never been released. They just said it was set, amicably settled to the satisfaction of all parties. So the other theory is that an intruder was involved. As we mentioned earlier, a boot print was left in the basement where John Bonet was found. The owner of that shoe has never been identified. Two windows were also left slightly open in the house to allow for cords for Christmas lights to pass through. A basement window was also broken and one door was unlocked. Lou Smith, who's a detective on the case, said that one of these entry points could have been used by an intruder, but many people believe that this isn't really a valid theory as there was still an intact cobweb on the basement window. The steel grate that covered the window had undisturbed cobwebs and the foliage around the grate had also been undisturbed. So Lou Smith's theory was that someone had used a stun gun to subdue John Bonet and to get her to the basement, which is kind of interesting because Gary Oliva was found with a stun gun. It was determined that there had been more than 100 burglaries in the Ramsey's neighbourhood in the months before John Bonet, Bonet's murder and there were 38 registered sex offenders living within two miles. So I feel like essentially there aren't really any other possibilities that it would have to be an intruder. It would have to be someone in the family. 
John Bonet obviously didn't do this to herself. Um, so they are the two main points of discussion, just all with different kind of um, parts. Versions. To, yeah, yeah. So was it the parents for some reason? Was it a sibling? Was it an intruder? My thoughts are, I think, I don't know exactly, like I don't have a solid, I think this person did it, but I 100% do think in some capacity that it's an inside job that John and Patsy both know more than they're letting on and that the whole thing was staged. I don't know if like someone else was involved also, um, like another adult, one of their friends, they seem to have many friends coming over, many parties, they're is also like theories or rumors that I've heard online that like the parents knew that John Bonet was being basically sexually exploited by people. Don't know if that's true. Again, that's just gossip. But I think that John and Patsy a hundred percent know more than they're letting on. I also think that well, I think that because the ransom note that is not real. No one. No. It makes no sense. No one be writing these paragraphs and paragraphs with all these random, not important details about like this is going to be a difficult trip for you. Make sure you put the money in a paper bag. But first, you're gonna go and you're gonna get this many hundreds and you're gonna get this many twenties and make sure you're well rested and blah 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 blah. When Jamine was dead in the basement, like the wouldn't if they killed her, wouldn't they have at least taken her? body then to get the ransom yeah. why leave the body behind that makes no sense I know that a lot of people are focusing on Gary like he does seem crazy enough to do it but I just feel like if it was him surely they would have some DNA they would have I something agree. to talk I just feel like he wants to be exactly like John Mark Carr just wants to be tied to the case has some weird obsession with John Bonet he wishes he did it yeah I also agree I think um, it was someone close to the family, if not within the family. I like. I just think the hundred eighteen thousand dollar demand is someone who had to have known John at least. Um, and then, all, yeah, exactly. Even if it was like, I just feel like if it was a murder, why didn't they take John Bonet? Why didn't they? If it was an abduction, why didn't they take John Bonet? Leaving it in the house, I feel like that's a red flag. You know it that they're eventually no going to search the house. <laughs> it's. I feel like it was just a messy cover up. I don't think that she was ever intended to be killed. Like I, I wouldn't be surprised if yeah. it was a fit of rage or if something happened Accident. and, and you know, I'm obviously hesitant based on past lawsuits to say specific details, but I do suspect it was someone either within the family or close to the family. A lot of people have always been suspicious of like Burke. Like obviously it's always been a theory that he did something to accidentally hurt her and the parents tried to cover it up. I personally don't think that. I've there the documentary that he sued them about, CBS, I think, was very convincing. And I totally understand why he would have sued them because it made you it really pointed the finger at him. But I'm also just like he's nine years old. He went through multiple police interrogations with professional like police, the FBI. And I just don't see a nine-year-old not coming off as suspicious or outsmarting professionals. Um, also, it just makes, to me, it makes no sense why, if it was an accident, why they would cover up for Burke. Because one, he's nine years old. He's not going to be like charged with murder as an adult. It was an accident. So why now, have, unless they just really wanted the attention, like, why, what think, are they covering up? I think about... 
all the things that we mentioned earlier, which I won't go into detail again, but with the paintbrush and the injuries to her body, like what if if they then maybe that is what they were trying to cover up more so than the accidental death. Hmm. I don't know. Anyway, that's just my general theory. I did ask on Instagram what people thought um, or about who murdered John Bonet. We can only have four options. So the options were a parent, a sibling, and it was covered up, Gary Oliva or, an, or another intruder. So 49% of people said a sibling, 19% par- uh, said parents, and it was then 16 for both Gary or another intruder. So a very interesting split. Um, I guess when you think about it, that's 70% believe it was someone in the family. Also, with like Gary, how he does seem definitely suspicious, but like you're saying, I think he just wants to be associated with the case and how John and whoever says like, why aren't they investigating him? They're not investigating him. Like it's the FBI. They definitely must have reasons and I'm sure they looked into him, but they must know something to know that he's not actually really a person of interest with the case because it'd be probably pretty easy to figure out like where he was on christmas yeah absolutely um i think he just is an obsessed person unless he like personally knew john and patsy i don't think he was in that house i feel like this is a case you could just actually discuss for hours like even you know when you were talking then i was just thinking about like john ramsey saying that he believes that gary's maybe a good suspect and then that could also go but that could go back to like if there is a cover-up. Um, yes. Like I just feel like you could talk about all the aspects of this case. You could talk about the pineapple. You could talk about the paintbrush. You could talk about there's just so many different things. And there is quite a lot of public information. Like there are a lot of photos. Um, there's a lot out there. And like John Ramsey, sure, he could be written off as like he was just so distraught about finding his daughter dead that he picked her up and carried her upstairs. Like was he doing that? in a calculated way to try to further contaminate the scene when his DNA was found on her, even though like he's her dad, obviously her, his DNA is going to be in the house and stuff, but just further contaminating the scene. I don't know. I personally feel like it was very dramatic to like pick her up and like bring her upstairs when you're specifically told not to touch anything. Yeah, I do. Like I also asked on Instagram for people's theory, uh, like thoughts. A lot of them are the sibling did it. Someone actually said, I used to dance with her when I was younger. This case still haunts me. I believe it was the sibling. Um, I'm just having a look. Like 90% of them are, I believe, the parents covered up. I'm just seeing if there's a mum lost her temper. How? And this is an interesting one. How has the available DNA and gene- genealogy not solved this case? Very good question. I just feel like there's just too much DNA in that house. Because they don't have, because they only yeah. have like touch DNA, which might not even be like a singular singular profile. It's just like a tiny, tiny bit. And that's why the DA shouldn't have been like, oh, based on this little tiny speck of kind of crappy evidence, the Ramses are cleared. Like they can't, they don't have like real DNA. It's so crazy to me. Like even when you think that the police told John and his friend to go and check if anything was amiss in the house, surely a police should have, a police officer should have walked around with them. Like I just yeah. like, why, why did that not happen? Oh yeah, just go and check the house and see what's amiss. <laughs> it's just, and just another thing that i think is suspicious of john and patsy is the fact that they didn't search the whole house yeah i don't know i just think- one person did kind of go out of the box they said i think it's more than one person and it's the intruder and it's definitely not the family 
So there are a lot of very strong opinions and like I guess really essentially any of them are plausible. I just mm-hmm. feel like based on my my personal theories, based on the ransom note, the specific amount being the Christmas bonus, you know, I just feel like that shows that someone is either knows the family or has knowledge of the family. Yeah. And even if I know a lot of people are suspicious of the brother, but even if something did happen, I still blame the parents. The whole yeah. concoction of everything that happened after whatever happened, it was all them. It's all on them. Yeah. Short answer, I believe the family were involved. Probably. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> like I said, I don't know what exactly happened, but I think that John and Patsy 100%, I won't say 100%, John and Patsy... 90% staged that and knew way more than they ever confessed to. Yeah. And I don't think we'll ever find out what happened unless someone confesses on their deathbed or something. I feel like, well, obviously it's too late for Patsy, but I feel like John will never confess while Burke Mm-mm. is still alive. And then I feel like Burke will never, ever confess either if he knows. Um, like, I just feel like this is something that will probably be held very tightly. Yeah. I don't think it, there will ever be an answer. Just as an interesting note, which I think we spoke about in our Natalie Holloway episode too. So after Patsy died, John dated Natalie Holloway's mother, Beth, for a little while, which was like a random collision of cases. But Yeah, very random. (laughs) It's like random but not, but it is. (laughs) I mean, like we said also at the start, there's so many, mm, I don't know, so many just wild theories about this case i think that these are the predominant most likely ones but of course there's like theories about like sex trafficking there's like a pedophile ring like anything you could think of because the evidence in this case is so vague and just like the public interest was so big so all these people like john mark Carr and gary oliva are just like inserting themselves you people come up with any theory that they want and can twist the story any way they want to and like you could just find anything honestly (laughs) one one thing I just want to add in quickly when we were talking about the initials in the ransom note SBTC there's a whole discussion online many discussions actually about what they stand for people have theorized that it could stand for saved by the cross because Patsy was apparently very religious um Mm. another one she belongs to Christ and then another one, mm. which is kind of out of the box, Southwestern Bell Telephone Company. <laughs> it says there's a phone book under the counter where the pen was found and where the notepad is believed to have been taken from. And they were just but, like, oh, good enough. Yeah. So, yeah. yeah. Interesting. I think this will remain unsolved, unfortunately. You never know. I guess, you know, randomly think like the boy in the box was solved after a whole bunch of time, but I just feel like this one is too messy. There's just too much interference for it to be solved. Yeah, I. it's one of those cases where I'm like, I would love to know what really happened. Like one of those, if you had one wish. And that's what, even on, the, on our Instagram, everyone's like, this is the case I hope I see before I die. Like, I'd love to know what happens. But, yeah. You know, we all live in hope. That is it for this episode. Um, a bit of a longer one for our end of the year. Mm-hmm. Um, I hope everyone has a lovely, safe holiday for all the holidays holidays celebrated and happy new year right is this yes 
Oh, and I hope you guys have a happy new year, a great end to 2023. I hope everyone wins the lottery <laughs> and all good things to everyone. And I hope everyone has a fun start to 2024. It's going to be our year. You can all get me a Christmas present. I've thought of something I'd really like. What? A, f- a five-star <laughs> Spotify rating. <laughs> Takes you three seconds. It's the easiest gift you'll have to give all year. <laughs> yeah. And make sure you're also subscribed. <laughs> or following whatever it is on whatever platform it's a big help to us so everything will be on the blog if you want to see anything about this case truecrimesocietyblog.com and you can follow us on instagram at true crime society where we post lots of updates and current stories if you want to follow our personal accounts minus stuff some underscore olivia's tcs olivia and if you want to check out our patreon we do all the episodes ad free there we also do weekly bonus episodes um and we have some fun group chats on patreon and things like that you can find us on there and i think that's really it so that's it thank you guys for listening like i said happy safe fun holidays and the year with a bang and thanks for listening. Peace out.